Christianity is a singing religion. <clears throat> and what a blessing. We're so glad to have this guy here helping to, amen. <clears throat> helping to organize and continue to expand our ministry as people use their talents for Christ. Very grateful. We have a wonderful team. It's a blessing to be a part of. I don't know why this stand won't stay up, but we'll figure it out. All right. Well, welcome. I don't see anything to tighten this. Benjamin, is there? A, all right. Thanks. If you have a Bible today, I want to invite you to turn to the, thank you, to the gospel of John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, we have plenty of extras. Just the ushers will happily give you one. You're welcome to keep this Bible if you're visiting with us. We're studying right from the Bible. A comment I hear frequently from people who have not come from this type of church, and there's nothing special about us, but they say, wow, I'm learning more about the Bible than in my whole life, even though I grew up going to church. So it is unfortunate that so many churches aren't reading and studying the Bible anymore, but certainly we want to welcome you to join with us. If you're going to embrace or dismiss Christianity, be sure you do that intelligently. Do it because you've read it and you've You've thought about the claims of Jesus. So this morning, we're going to continue our study of John. I want to pray for our flock in just a moment, but let me remind you just um, kind of the big picture. Jesus made some remarkable claims, right? When he was on earth, he claimed to be sent down from heaven. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the creator. He claimed to be the only way to heaven. He claimed that anyone who didn't follow him would perish in their sins. And so there's a lot to think about there. If these claims are true, they should have a tremendous impact on our lives. If they're not true, well, then, you know, Jesus was a good old boy. But as we're going through John, John says, I wrote these things to let you see who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah, the Son of God. These signs and miracles that he did were all designed to encourage you to believe and follow him. And so we've seen some wonderful ways that Jesus uses metaphors. He used water several times. He used the new birth to talk about becoming a Christian. He used blindness. I was blind, but now I see. And this morning, he's going to use a wonderful, rich metaphor of a shepherd and sheep. Now, it's not like Jesus came up with that that day, like, hey, Shepherd and sheep would be a good illustration of relationship to people. This is something that's got a rich history in the Old Testament. The Old Testament had so much about shepherds and sheep. Most of us are at least familiar with Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And probably a lot of you have seen a picture of Jesus in his white robe holding a little lamb in his arms. But the Old Testament had far more to say about shepherds than just God as the shepherd. Frequently in the Old Testament, God would portray spiritual leaders as shepherds. The priests were called shepherds over the people of Israel. And a shepherd's job was to protect and lead and care for and correct and go after straying sheep. A shepherd's job was not to fleece and brutalize and take advantage of and insult and harm the people that's entrusted to their care, but rather to love and sacrifice for them. When we begin John chapter 10, I want you to remember that when the Bible was written, there weren't these chapter breaks. So John chapter 10 is not something that took place of a whole different time and place. It probably follows right on the heels of what just happened. Jesus heals a poor, broken, blind man and instead of celebrating his recovery, the spiritual leaders give him a beating. They throw him to the curb and say, you moron, you were born in your sins. Get out of here. What do you know? And so as Jesus observes the abuse of the religious leaders upon his people, he uses the analogy, hey, I'm not like those shepherds. There's a lot of religious leaders out there who will exploit you. They want your money. They want your worship. They, they, they want to control you. And Jesus says, I'm not like those other shepherds. I'm a good shepherd. And so that's the context. But this chapter unfolds some tremendous truths about Jesus 
in his relationship with us as sheep and him as the shepherd. So I'd like to pray for us and then we'll work our way through this chapter. Father, I pray now that the Holy Spirit will help us to grow and learn. I thank you that we can meet together in the name of Jesus and that when we meet in his name that he is in our midst. And you told us as, as your children to gather together regularly under leadership, to worship, to pray for one another, to encourage each other, and to hear your word. Father, we pray for our congregation. There are many who are hurting in their marriages, in their health, with their children, with loneliness, with depression and anxiety. Many are struggling with addictions. And Father, I pray that the Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, will bind up the brokenhearted and that all of us will take heart and encourage one another to care for one another and to shepherd one another. And Lord, we thank you that we can study your word. We pray for our country today, for our upcoming president as well as our uh, President Obama right now. Father, we pray that you will turn America to the Lord, bring conviction of sin and repentance and a desire to get back to the principles of scripture upon which many of the political and religious ideas of this country were founded. Thank you for your mercy. We pray for Christians in other parts of the world who are being persecuted, who are dying, who are being tortured and living in fear, that you will give them great boldness and courage, that the gospel will continue to spread all over this world. Thank you, Lord, that you are forming your body, the bride of Christ, and you're coming again. Lord, may we be encouraged today, convicted, strengthened, and comforted from your word. And we pray for your Holy Spirit to act on our behalf in Jesus' name. Amen. I was talking to um, Joe Foch one time, because many of you are familiar with Calvary Chapel. They have probably 7,000 people attend every Sunday, and there are about 25 to 30 Calvary chapels that have been planted in this area. And I said, Joe, these, these men that go out and, and plant these churches, I said, how do you train them to teach the Bible? Do you, do you have preaching classes? And he says, no. We just study the Bible together and they listen and they learn and then they go out and, and teach verse by verse through the Bible, kind of using their own personality. And the reason I say that is I want to continue to encourage you that these things that we're, we're going through you can share them with others. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. And you could sit down with your kids and family and friends and just work your way through the scriptures with those, with those who are interested. But one of the beauties of reading verse by verse is you learn how to study the Bible. And you'll hear me talk about looking at cross-references or doing word studies. Or sometimes I'll say, you need to look up historical background. So in this case, it's helpful to have a little historical background about how shepherds functioned back then. They weren't these mild-mannered, meek little men who, who lived in little soft, cuddly clothes holding a little lamb. They, this was a very difficult job. You were out in the elements. But one of the things that was difficult is how do you take care of the sheep at night? Because wolves don't take the night off, right? Lions don't take the night off. And thieves don't take the night off. So in the evening, shepherds would, if possible, gather their sheep into what they called sheepfolds or pens and these were stone walls that shepherds built and so at night the shepherds would bring their sheep into these pens and sometimes sleep in the gate now most shepherds were poor so they didn't all have their own pens so in the evening it was quite common for them to have a common pen where four or five different flocks would come together which is a great idea. We're, we're consolidating our resources. Everyone's safe. The little sheep are snuggling together. The problem is when morning comes, how do we sort out this mess? It's like herding cats. Hey, that's one of my sheep. No, it's one of mine. Now he's got a tattoo right here. I got a chip in his ear. So one of the cool things about sheep is they really do know their master's voice. And so each master had a different voice, right? When, when Benjamin began to sing a moment ago, Tammy said to me, who, who, whose voice is that? And I said, you don't recognize your shepherd's voice? It's Benjamin, of course. The, the sweet psalmist of Israel is leading us. So, so what would happen is one by one, the shepherds would, would stand at the gate and whatever their call is, kind of like your weird call for your dog, we all have like a weird call for our dog, only those sheep would come out. 
And so Jesus is going to use that analogy. But in that analogy, he, he reminds them of something they were aware of. Shoplifting did not begin in our culture. Sheeplifting was taking place way back then because sheep were valuable in a commodity. And people would steal sheep. Now, how would you steal sheep? You don't come in and just say to the, the guy at the gate, hey, can I just browse around? I'm not really buying anything today. I just want to look at the sheep. No, not a chance. So what, what men would do is they would climb over the wall at night, if they could, grab a sheep and throw it over the, the wall to their buddy who would grab it, and, and they would steal sheep, right? Now, poor sheep, imagine that was a trauma. So Jesus begins with that analogy. People got that, but the point he's making in the first six verses is that my sheep, the true sheep, the ones who follow me, Jesus is going to say, they're, they're the ones who I'm going to protect. They're the ones who follow me. They're not going to listen to these thug spiritual leaders like these guys just treated the blind men. So notice, beginning of verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who doesn't enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. In other words, these spiritual leaders who aren't caring for you genuinely, they're either messianic pretenders or they're greedy people who just want to get your money or fleece you. But Jesus says, but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. You can see him calling out a sheep. And he calls his own sheep by name, right? And he leads them out. So not, every, not all the sheep in this pen are, are followers of the, this shepherd. Some of them come out and follow him. And then when he puts them all, all out, he goes before them. Notice, now that's interesting because cattle are driven by Marlborough men. Sheep are gently led. He leads them out, and when he puts forth all his own, he goes before them, and notice, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now, don't miss that phrase. They follow him because as we're reading through this chapter, I hope that you're asking yourself this question. Am I one of his sheep? I mean, you're really missing the point here. If, if by the time we're done this chapter, you're not going, am I one of his sheep? So he says, a stranger they won't follow but will flee from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Now, these, these guys who had just said to Jesus, we're not blind, are we? And Jesus goes, you are so blind and that's why you're lost. Right? Now he tells this story and they're like, thanks for the sheepology lesson, Jesus, but we have no idea what you're talking about. Look at verse 6. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they didn't understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. Now, that's kind of profound. They're like, huh? But Jesus' sheep, they, they, they get it. That's why Jesus spoke in parables sometimes. He wanted to reveal and conceal. If you're interested, you'll come back for more. If you're not, right over your head, and it's your fault. So beginning in verse 7, I want you to notice something that I picked up in studying this. There's probably a, a, a transition here. First of all, the metaphor is going to change, Okay. It's not the same sheepfold, okay? And Jesus is going to go back and forth between being the shepherd and the gate. So this time we're picturing a different sheepfold. And this time it's only Jesus' sheep within this sheepfold. And so in verses 7 all the way down through verse 18, what we're going to see here is that Jesus is going to say, hey, I'm the good shepherd, but he's going to tell us a number of things about himself. He's going to say, look, I save my sheep. I satisfy my sheep, and I'm going to be slain for my sheep. So this is, I just love this. Jesus says to them, verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So notice, he just switched metaphors. Before he's a shepherd, now he goes, I'm the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear them. Now this time he's turning the analogy around. He's not leading the sheep out. He's leading them in somewhere. And the idea, he's saying, listen, I want to lead people into heaven. If you want, if you want to go to heaven, Jesus is going, you got to go through me or you're not going to go to heaven. Now that's, that's pretty bold. People are like, Christianity is so narrow. You people are so bigoted. 
You know, you think you're the only way. And I'm going, oh, wait, I didn't say this. He did. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God but through me. So when people go, so you're saying that Muslims aren't going to heaven? I'm going, I didn't say it. He did. And, and Methobacterians aren't going to heaven. No one's going to heaven unless they have a personal relationship of faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what he's starting to teach here. Look, I'm the way they get saved. Now, what does he mean when he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers? Because you're like, wait, Jesus, so, so what about Moses? What about Jeremiah? What about Ezekiel and Daniel? Are they thieves and robbers? So he doesn't mean here, all of the Old Testament prophets who spoke about me are false shepherds. Probably here he's referring to pretenders, especially the Pharisees and Sadducees of his time. And in Jesus' lifetime, there were, there were people who were claiming to be messiahs. In Zechariah, God spoke about worthless shepherds who didn't care for the sheep. So Jesus says, these religious charlatans who are trying to lead you astray, he goes, I'm, 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 not, I'm not like them. But instead, he says, I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. Now, if you've never thought about this, you need to think about this. When you die, the Bible says you're going to stand before God. He, Jesus Christ is going to judge you, right? That's what the Bible says. So I just want to get you ready for this. And some of us are going to enter, and some of us are not going to enter. And what will determine that is whether or not you have made a decision to trust and follow Christ now. So this is called being saved. Jesus says, if you enter through me, you will be saved. So he's simply introducing this idea. If you want to go to heaven, I have to save you from this moral danger. Now, that's not hard to picture, like sheep needed to be protected from moral danger, but that was, that was from wolves. We need to be protected from the moral danger of hell, which is the penalty for our sin. So Jesus throws this out there. Hey, I'm a good shepherd, and I save my sheep. But a lot of people, unfortunately, once they, 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 they envision becoming a Christian, it's like, that's it. Jesus just forgives me, and then I just go do my thing, and then I wait for him to come back and pick me up. But notice, Jesus doesn't want to just save you. He wants to satisfy your life with a rich and meaningful life. This is neat. Look what he says. He doesn't just say you'll be saved. Verse 9 says, you'll go in and out and find pasture. This isn't just talking about when we get to heaven. This is now. The Lord Jesus, as yours and my shepherd, wants to have a rich and intimate relationship with us. Where, like David, we can say, hey, the Lord restores my soul. He feeds me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So Jesus says, look, thieves come to steal, kill, and destroy, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now, this is what we've been talking about this whole series on John. Jesus wants you to have a flourishing, deep, relational, enjoyable life in connection with him. Now, please hear me carefully. Joel Osteen will tell you he wants you to have your best life now, but what he means by that is God wants you to be very rich, he wants you to be very healthy. He wants everything to be going great for you. That's not what Jesus means by an abundant life. You may have many troubles in your life. You may struggle with health, with your marriage, with, with, with finances, all kinds of tests and temptations with your children. Jesus doesn't promise you a physically abundant, prosperous life with wonderful kids. And please stop sending me those Christmas letters that said, Bob won the uh, award. We're going to Hawaii for two months. The kids all got 4.0. Everyone got a full ride to Harvard, and, um, and we just saved $2 million. Just stop it. I, I don't need that, right? I, it just reminds me of my sorry. No, I'm just kidding. But the point is, I want you to think about that. Are you enjoying your relationship with Jesus Christ? If you're not, then you're missing out on something that he has for you. He wants you to have an abundant satisfied life. Doesn't mean you won't have tears, doesn't mean you won't have sorrow, but you'll have this peace and joy and fellowship and moments with him that are very rich and intimate. Even as I was studying this yesterday, 
um, I was coming out from my basement. I was listening to some worship music. And it just struck me, the reality, the, the, the presence of Jesus and his love for us as sheep. And I fell to my knees weeping with joy and, and delight just to think, Jesus, why me? Why did you do this for me? Why did you call me as one of your sheep? I am so blessed, Lord. And, and so I really want to encourage you to pray, Lord Jesus, help me to experience this abundant life. So he says, look, I saved my sheep. I want to satisfy and bless my sheep. But then he says, I'm going to be slain for my sheep. Look at this. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, this is going to be the theme all the way down to verse 18. He says it in verse 15, I lay down my life. Verse 17, I lay down my life. Verse 18, I lay it down, I lay it down. So it's a big deal. I want you to think about this. Back then, if I was watching someone else's sheep and a wolf attacked them, I have no real attachment and connection to those sheep. So I'm not sure I want to risk being bit by a lion or a wolf to rescue somebody else's sheep. But if it's my sheep, then I got a little more stake in the game. Now, some of you need a better illustration. Years ago, we had a little Jack Russell. Take my advice. Don't do it. <laughs> they're not terriers. They're terrors. He got hit by a car, and it just ran over his leg. So his leg was completely just hanging by flesh. And he's screaming, and I'm holding him in, in my arms. We happened to have some Albanians visiting. They were in my home, and my children were just little. And, and of course, that dog was like one of the kids, right? So the Albanian guy, and this is, and you have to understand, and some of you know this, people from other countries don't get our obsession with our pets. They're like, you people are nuts. You know, I can't even feed my kids, and you're buying steak for your dogs. But this Albanian guy goes, he goes, why you not just kill this dog, get another one? And my kids were like, <laughs> They literally said, we don't like that man. When I told that to my next-door neighbor who had a little dog just like it, he goes, he goes, man, that Albanian's crazy. He goes, I'd put my son to sleep before I would put my dog to sleep. And I'm like... Whoa, okay. But, but you can get this point. Jesus goes, as a shepherd, I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. Now, now, I want you to think that through because notice the next verse, verse 12. He was a hireling and not a shepherd who's not the owner of the sheep. He sees the wolf coming. He leaves the sheep. The wolf snatches them, scatters them. He flees because he's a hireling. He doesn't care about the sheep. But Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, what do you think about this? If you're a believer, you ought to go, wow, Jesus, you have extraordinary love and care for me, that you would lay down your life for me. And, and he describes this relationship. He goes, my Father and I, we know each other. We have that connection. And he says, that's how I have a connection with my children. So listen, this is really important. There are too many Americans whose butts sit on church seats every Sunday who know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. And I want to encourage you to think that through. I pray it isn't any of you. That it, it's one thing to know about Jesus. You can say the verses, blah, blah, blah. You know the, the doctrines, but you have no relationship with Christ. You do not trust him. You do not love him. You do not truly believe in him. And you definitely do not follow him. And whatever happens for an hour on Sunday has no meaning to your life during the week. Jesus says, my sheep know me. Jesus wants you to walk with him and talk with him and spend time with him and trust him and follow him. And then he says something that I just, I absolutely love this verse. And he says, and by the way, verse 16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. And I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. This is so cool. When God first selected Abraham and made him the founder of the Jewish nation, right? And he said, I will bless those who bless you. He had a very distinctive program in which his hand and blessing was going to be upon the Jews. But he envisioned a day under the new covenant when that blessing would expand 
expand proportionately to all the world. And all the nations would be blessed through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so while Jesus was at this point in his ministry, he's still only ministering to Jews. He said, I came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But he has an envisionment that the gospel is going to go out to the Gentiles, that the gospel is going to go out all over the world, that the reason you and I are sitting here today is because when Jesus said this, he was thinking of you and me. He said, I have other sheep. And in John 17, he said, Father, I'm not just praying for these disciples, but for all of those who will believe in him. And listen, there are a whole lot of his sheep that are still out there lost. There are still a lot of unreached people all over this world that Christ is reaching out to, and he's calling people to go and take the gospel to them. And I want to encourage you, as, as we hear stories of Austin coming back from Syria, and we're going to have a Syrian pastor come and speak to us and tell us of these Syrian Muslims in refugee camps flocking to Jesus. As Pastor Bob leads us to have a, a church-wide vision of missions to go, what an awesome privilege that we are, are participating with Jesus in, in bringing others into this flock. Welcome to this forever family of God. And notice what Jesus says about this family of God. He says, and they shall become one flock. It's not, we're the Baptists, we're the Presbyterians, we're the Evangelical Free Church. If they're born again, we're one family of God. Rich, poor, black and white, different languages, one beautiful family of God. Later in, in the Gospel of John, John says, Jesus said this because he would die for the nation and gather together into one people from all the nations. And so it's exciting. It reminds me of an old gospel hymn that I love to sing called Bring Them In. Who will go and help this shepherd kind? Who will help to bring the wandering ones to find? Who will bring these lost ones to the fold where they'll be sheltered from the cold? Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring them in from the fields of sin. Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring the wandering ones to Jesus. I love that. Jesus is going, I'm going to bring them also, but you know he's going to bring them through us. And if you're a Christian, it's because God used somebody to bring you in. And not just so you could join the club and just become fat and sassy in Christianity, so that you could grow and be a healthy sheep and you could reach out to your kids and your family and your loved ones and your friends and the people that you work with. And Jesus goes, let, let, let me just get back to this idea of, of my death. See, because a shepherd, shepherds didn't lay down their lives technically. They didn't go one day, hey, sheep, I want you to know how much I love you. So I'm going to jump off a cliff. Ah, I love you. They would die trying to protect their sheep. But what Jesus wants us to understand here is that his death was not this haphazard Oh, no, I better figure out. I'll try to help them, but I just died. But this is very intentional, voluntary, loving act on his part of saying, look, I'm willingly and lovingly going to get up on that cross to die to save you from your sins. So he keeps using the phrase, I'll lay down my life. So he says in verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. I like this phrase, no one has taken it away from me, I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Every once in a while, Jesus will throw us a curveball. If you were to ask, who raised Jesus from the dead? I mean, we know our theology. I believe in God the Father who raised Christ from the dead. Jesus just said, I raised me from the dead. See, there's this unique mystery that he's separate from the Father, but he's one with the Father. But I want to just have you think about this when he says, no one takes it away from me. You remember the night he was arrested? We're going to get to that in John 18. This is really cool. 600 soldiers and a mob of thugs with clubs, swords, torches show up to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Don't miss that. We're not talking about three bad men. 600 Soldiers, a battalion, show up to Jesus and his sleepy-eyed, sandy-faced disciples. Like, oh, what's this happening? And Jesus says to these 600 men, 
who are you looking for? And they said, we seek Jesus. He goes, I'm he. And we're going to read in John 18 that this room holds 500 people. So add 100 people, fill every seat. The entire mob fell to the ground when Jesus said, I am he. Right? Now, if these morons had two wits about them, they should have all run for the hills as fast as they can. But moments later, he goes, let these go. And they let him go. He goes, go ahead and arrest me. There was no sense of Jesus going, stop it. Get these ropes off of me. <laughs> this is an amazing act of love on the part of Jesus. I'm doing this because I love you. So the songwriter said, they bound the hands of Jesus in the garden where he prayed. And they, they led him through the streets in shame. And they mocked and spat upon him so pure and free from sin. They said, crucify him. He's to blame. But then the songwriter said, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. And I'm like, I love you, Jesus. Nobody took his life. Don't feel sorry for that martyr Jesus and those bad men. This was the predetermined plan of God that the Savior, the Lamb of God, would take away the sin of the world willingly giving his life. And this is what turned Paul into a dynamic preacher of Christ. He said, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me, the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what changes lives. When you come to grips with the reality that nobody ever will love you like Jesus, nobody gave his life for you like Jesus did, how can we not want to live for a savior of such wonderful grace? But as Jesus often did, he turns the conversation now back to the fact that he's God. Now, we're starting to pick up a little pattern here. In John chapter 5, he goes, Father shows me what to do. And they pick up boulders, and they try to kill him. And he goes, why are you trying to kill me? Because you're calling yourself God. John chapter 8, he says, I'll set you free from your sins. And how do you know Abraham? He goes, I am. And they pick up boulders and try to kill him. So it's boulder time again. But Jesus is intentionally going to provoke them because he's going to say it again. He's going to go, hey, I and the Father are one. So what's going to happen here? He goes, here's how you know if you're my sheep, if you follow me. And here's what kind of a shepherd I am. I, I seek after my sheep, right? I'm slain for them. I satisfy them. I save them. But now he's going to say, I'm, I'm one with God as I seek for my sheep. And these spiritual leaders, these thieves are going to, we'll kill you. I love this. Watch what he does. There arose a bit division among the Jews because of these words. And many of them were saying, he has a demon. He's insane. Why do you listen to him? The guy's a nut. Right? Others were saying, these are not the sayings of a demon-possessed man. A demon-possessed man can't open the eyes of the blind, can he? What demon could make a blind man see? You know, I think this might be what inspired C.S. Lewis to his most, one of his most famous quotes. Because remember, C.S. Lewis said, please don't give me the nonsense of saying, I like some of the teachings of Jesus. He goes, that is so stupid to go, I like some of the teachings of Jesus. I like do unto others. He goes, Jesus claimed to be God. If he's not God, why would you listen to anything that he says? He's crazy. So he said, if he's not God, and some of you know the quote, then he's a liar, a lunatic, or a poached egg. Long before C.S. Lewis came up with that, these people who were hearing him were going, this guy's claiming to be God. He's a lunatic. But notice, Jesus doesn't flinch at that. Verse 22, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. Now, again, as I'm teaching you how to study the Bible, get out your Bible dictionary or you go online. What's the Feast of Dedication? Ready for this? This is Hanukkah. Hanukkah is not a biblical holiday. God in the Old Testament never said, celebrate Hanukkah. During the silent years between Malachi and the coming of Christ, those 400 years, the Jews were oppressed by different people groups, and one of them were the Greeks. And the Greeks were brutal. After Alexander the Great died, some of the followers after that were brutal to the Jews. They were killing them and slaughtering them and oppressing them and persecuting them. And so 
there were some believers back then. People were getting saved during this time. And there was a group of, of Jews led by a, a family of a man whose last name was Maccabee who began to, to, to raise up guerrilla warfare. And they started to train these, these Israeli guerrilla soldiers who would fight against the Greeks to try to get back their city. So one of these Greek leaders, Antiochus Epiphanes, a picture of the Antichrist, he sacrificed a pig on the Jewish altar and he declared that anyone who's found with a copy of the Hebrew scriptures will be put to death. And so he's, he's ravaging them. But under Judas Maccabeus and, and, and his guerrilla army, they won their independence. They won back their freedom. They conquered the Jews for a period and they celebrated for eight days. And so to continue that tradition, they, they, they still today have what's called Hanukkah. It's sometimes called the Feast of Lights. And so instead of saying to your Jewish friends, happy Hanukkah, enjoy your dreidels or whatever, you, you have some sense of like, oh, I understand. Hey, that's interesting. You know, the, 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 the New Testament talks about Hanukkah. And then when it mentions, you're like, John, why, why does it matter that Jesus is in the portico of Solomon? Well, again, you get out your Bible and you go, portico of Solomon, and you'll find that that was an area in the temple when you read the book of Acts, this is where all the Jews would gather after 3,000 got saved. That's the area they would all gather and continue to proclaim Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, a friend of mine, like we have our young adults, the Forge, he, he has a young adult ministry called Solomon's Porch. I'm like, I like that, Solomon's Porch, where we come together to talk about Jesus. Anyway, let's keep reading. Verse 24. The Jews gathered around him and they said to Jesus, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, it's interesting because we don't get that, but you have to understand something. Everybody back then was wondering, who is the Messiah? Who's the Christ? And they had a very, very specific political agenda to that. So if someone came along and said, everybody, I'm the Christ, they immediately perceived that this guy would be a military conqueror who would kick the Roman butts and there would be this great war in which all the Romans would be beaten down and the Jews would be set free. So Jesus was very careful. He didn't go around going, I'm the Christ, I'm the Christ, I'm the Christ, because he knew that they could not embrace that. They would not have understood that Messiah had to suffer they would not have understood that the Christ did not come at that point to establish his kingdom. In fact, remember the disciples who knew he was the Christ. He goes, who do you say I am? And Peter goes, you're the Christ. Even when he told them he was going to die, they're like, oh, stop that nonsense, Jesus. You're not going to die. And he says, get behind me, Satan. So on the one hand, he did tell them, so, so, but he didn't go around going, I'm the Christ, I'm the Christ. He says, I told you and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. Look at verse 26. He goes, but here's why you don't believe. You're not my sheep. Now, there's two dangers for people who understand verses like this. I hope you understand that, that I believe very strongly in sovereign grace for salvation. I don't believe God just saves people because he knew you were going to pick him. I think the Bible's clear that no one would ever pick him we're wicked, we're dead in our sins, we're blind, we're held captive by Satan. But there's this mystery in scripture that says this, if you go to hell, it's 100% your fault. Nobody's going to go, oh, well, God didn't pick me. But if you're saved, you never go, well, I'm glad I picked Jesus because I'm smarter than the other people. There's this mystery that says, I'm a believer because he called me. So when Jesus says to people, you're not my sheep, number one, don't have this callous attitude that if you're trying to share with someone that's not saved, they'll go, well, you're not one of his sheep. Because you don't know that, right? And number two, people don't go to hell because they're not one of his sheep. They go to hell because they won't follow Christ. And so there's this mystery that sometimes Jesus would say, you don't believe because you're not mine, but it's still their fault. But those of us who are saved, we don't prance around going, well, we're his because we chose him. We're his because he graciously opened our eyes. So look at this wonderful promise he gives to his sheep. And that's why if by now you're not going, am I a sheep? Am I a sheep? You should be going, am I a sheep? And if you know you're a sheep, look at what he says. He says in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. 
and I know them, and they follow me. I want to just remind you of this. There are too many Americans who go, I'm one of his sheep, and I go, do you trust him? Do you obey him? No. That's, that's no. I don't have to do what the Bible says. I got hell insurance. I said that prayer when I was four years old. If you're a believer, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. They don't just put a bumper sticker on their car and live, live like the devil. They trust me, and my words are meaningful to them. So one thing, I'll, if you want to know if you're one of his sheep, does this book mean anything to you? If I went to your house and pulled it off and it was so filled with dust that I could write the word condemned on the cover in the dust, then you might want to ask yourself, how would I claim to be one of his sheep if I could care less about the Bible, right? So I didn't have any interest in the Bible until one day the Lord awakened my heart and somebody said, hey, you start reading the Bible. I started reading the Gospel of John. And, and, and I believed and I was saved and I'm one of his sheep now, not because I did anything, but because he drew me. It's just fascinating to go, wow, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I have an interest in the things of Christ. Charles Wesley said it this way, and can it be that I should, should have an interest in the Savior's blood? If you're interested in the words of Jesus, if you care about him, if you trust him, if you want to follow him, take courage. That's evidence that you're a believer. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but, but you, you care, you love him, you want to follow him. And look what he says to you. I'll give you eternal life and you'll never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. You thought you were in good hands with Allstate? If you're a Christian, you're kept by Jesus. Oh, I have no time for people who go, oh, I believe you can lose your salvation. Now, I want to be very patient, right? I'm not putting you down. But please think about this. If you believe you can lose your salvation by being bad, you know, by blaspheming or doing something really bad, then aren't you really saying that you keep your salvation by being good? That somehow it's not grace alone, faith alone, Jesus keeping you, but somehow you better not mess up or he's going to kick you to the curb. So some people will look at a verse like this where Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. They'll go, yeah, but you can jump out. And I'm going, is Jesus that weak? The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, everyone he predestines, he calls. Everyone he calls, he justifies. And everyone he justifies, he glorifies. You can rest in the security that if you're a believer, Jesus is keeping you. Now, I want to encourage you to keep following him. But somebody came up to me in the first service, they said, yeah, but I don't want to know, I don't know how to handle this because someone came to me and said, so-and-so was a born-again Christian and they were so on fire for the Lord and now they've renounced it and they don't care about him and they don't follow him. See, they lost their salvation. And the answer is, they didn't lose it. They never had it. Because the mark of a true believer is that you'll continue to believe. Because he that began a good work in us is continuing that work in us until the day of Christ. Jesus is praying for us. The only reason Peter didn't bail and kill himself like Judas is because Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan's going to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith won't fail. It's so encouraging to know this, that Jesus is keeping you. Don't feel like, oh, if I mess up, he's going to throw me out. You have eternal life. You're in the Father's hands. And then Jesus throws out this great theological truth. Verse 30, I and the Father are one. What does he mean by one? There's, there's two words for one. This is in the neuter tense. So he's not saying we're one person. We're one entity. We're, we're one God. Well, for time's sake, the Jews decide they're going to stone him. And Jesus makes Ravi look, Zacharias look like a novice. He goes, why are you stoning me for calling myself God? He said, in the Old Testament, they called humans God. Jesus said, my goal here is that you would come to understand that the Father's in me and I'm in the Father. So what are we going to do with this? I want you to stop for a moment and just, here's some things to take home with you. As you're reading these passages, you go, oh, that was nice. I'm a little sheep. So here's some things to think about. This week, maybe even today, go home and stop and take some time with Jesus and thank him and say, Jesus, I want to praise you that you're my great shepherd. You are such a good shepherd, Lord. You loved me. You chose me. You died for me. 
You, you raised yourself up again so you could satisfy me with an abundant life. You care for me, Lord. What a shepherd. You pray for me, Jesus. You keep and guard my soul. Though, though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to try. Thank you, Lord. Now, with that blessing in mind, Lord, you're my shepherd, then I want to encourage you to do this. Shepherds lead and sheep follow. So the first thing I want you to think about is, how's that following going? Are you walking with Jesus? Are you spending time with him? Are you repenting of your sins and, and trusting him and praying and serving him? It's natural to stray from the shepherd. And you say, well, I'm really in a, a bad place right now and I'm really hurting. Well, guess what? Why would you want to stay there? Here's a shepherd who will bind up your wounds. Don't run away from him when you're struggling. Run to him. Two other things to think about. Jesus says, these people aren't concerned about the sheep, but I love my sheep. And, and many of you out there are going, and that's why I love Jesus. Okay, ready for this? Later in the book, Jesus is going to go, do you love me? And you're like, yeah, Jesus, look, I got my T-shirt, my hat, and my bumper sticker. And Jesus goes, no, I got a better idea. He pulls Peter aside. He says, Peter, do you love me? Well, yeah, you know I do. Then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. I really want to encourage you to think about this, that one of the primary ways that we show our love to Christ is when we care for other Christians. Love me, feed my sheep. And I thank God that there are, my wife just said to me, she goes, we have so many wonderful people in this church. I thank God that many of you are, are in the game and you're growing and maturing and you're learning that it's not just for you, that it's about shepherding other people. It's about caring and, and, and shepherding is messy. It's about sheep bite, right? And sheep stray. But I really want to encourage you, Jesus is our great shepherd. But this idea of, Oh, only the Pastor Bob, he's the shepherd. Pastor Tom, no, there are many shepherds under the chief shepherd. So I want to encourage you, if you're maturing in your faith, start to be thinking, how can I shepherd people? You know, it doesn't have to be a formal thing. Even if you just say, hey, you guys want to get together once a week for coffee and just tell me what you're learning. Shepherds feed their sheep. They speak the word of God into the lives of people. Some of you, as you're thinking about becoming leaders or elders, this is what shepherds do. They care for people. They care for other Christians. So ask yourself, am I involved at all in shepherding other people? You know, do I notice if there's some people missing? Do I care? Do I ever follow up with anybody? Do I ever listen and, and genuinely? Uh, it's just such an exciting thing. But, but in addition to that, shepherds care for the sheep. But Jesus says, I have others and I want to bring them also, right? So ask yourself this week, as I walk with this wonderful shepherd, there sure are a lot of people around me that don't have a relationship with the shepherd. I wonder if I might be able to have a part in bringing them to the shepherd. Now, wouldn't it be nice if it was that easy? Two people yesterday said to me, I I'm trying to bring my kids to the Lord. And I go, because they're older, right? And they came to the Lord later in life. And it's like, we just want to grab our kids and go, follow Jesus, right? And I said, well, remember, look how long it took you, right? So recognize this, that there are people in your life who are unbelievers, and God wants to use you to bring them. And I, I can't tell you how that is this morning. I'm not going to say, okay, so go down to the train station and start preaching to them. But be, be redemptively proactive. Pray, God, give me opportunities to talk to people to care for, to invite my neighbors, to offer to have a Bible study, to, to, to do things. I'm really excited. There's a, there's a group of girls in the church who are going to go into the neighborhood next week and just invite people to our Christmas service. You know, just be praying about ways that you can be used of God to bring people to Jesus. We're out of time. There's a few other things I'd like to say, as you can imagine. But because I want to bless the sheep, I'm going to send you off. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you have met with us today. And I pray that our flock will know your love for them.
that right now you will speak words of comfort to the hearts of your people, that you will bind up their broken hearts, that you would experientially draw them to yourself and feel themselves in your arms and know that it is well with their souls. Lord, I want to pray for those in our church who are shepherding others. Oh, thank you, God, so much for them. Raise up more and more people, small group leaders, and people who will care for others, Bible study leaders, disciplers who will make disciples. Father, I pray that for those who are new in their faith, that they will grow strong and begin to, to be encouraged and begin to reach out and, and I pray for each of us as parents and grandparents as we try to point our children to Christ and shepherd them. Father, I want to pray now for you to give grace to us to go out and reach our community. Father, if we need to add a third service, Lord, give us a desire to reach lost people. Thank you that you are in our very midst letting us see the miracle of bringing people to yourself. It's such a blessing, Lord, to see people getting saved, and we know that it's you calling them. And so, Lord, it is well with our soul. We bless you, and we pray, Father, if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus, oh, Lord, before they leave today, I pray that they would inquire from one of us to make sure that they are one of the sheep. You can become one of the sheep this morning, just the best you know how, right there in your seat, if you hear the voice of Jesus and he spoke to you today, just say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've lost my way. But I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sin. And I want to follow you now. Would you forgive me, Lord, and help me to be one of your followers? Thank you, Lord, that you're coming again. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Be in prayer for our church as the Lord continues to work in our lives. And we'll see you soon.